0: Shut up, and sit down. All
1: right, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. It's been a little while since I've been able to record with Mike, and we have two great guests on today for a very special uh, and probably long-awaited, if you're a Wizards fan who's been listening to the Limited Upside podcast, we're going to do the Wizards postmortem because they might be dead. It might be over. Joining us, we have Jake Whittaker of Bullets Forever. He's the site manager. He's been with the site for years and years since my Prada started the site uh, back in 2007. Jake's been there almost the whole time. And we have Kyle Weadeye. Kyle is from truthaboutit.com. He's another Wizards aficionado. So we have three very... Deserving Wizards fans to kind of put this all into perspective for us guys. Glad to have you here Jake is in Western, Virginia Kyle is in DC and Mike is in the studio in New York I'm here resting my torn Achilles in Philadelphia, but I cannot wait to hear this kind of group therapy session come together I want to start it off with Prada because well Mike you're the godfather of Wizards fandom in my opinion So I want to ask you and then we'll let the rest of you guys get right into this in this era of space and pace some of the best teams in NBA history playing the most beautiful basketball with this kind of similar wavelength of how to play it. Why did it fail this year for the Wizards, Mike?
0: Oh boy, that's a, that's a tough question. You know, honestly, I'm still wrapping my head around it because intellectually it made so much sense. You know, the way they played in the playoffs, the way they spread the floor, how their best player is, this quick, fast point guard that can get by anybody. You would think that it's the most logical thing in the world to spray, spread the floor, and put shooters around him, and yet it failed so miserably. And you know, my theory—I think it's just the execution of it totally failed. I don't think they really went about it the right way. And I, I have some theories why, but I'm also not on the ground quite as much as I have been in the past. So I mean, Jake and Kyle, maybe you were there in training camp as they were learning this. I, I, did something feel off from the start?
2: I think the issue was back in 2014, they committed to playing one way right before the Warriors really blitzed the league with pace and space. And so once they realized that was what they needed to do with Paul Pierce, they really didn't have the resources last summer to um, get the right kind of players. So they almost had to refurbish everything like it was like buying like a high-end VHS player six months before DVDs came out, and <laughs> then trying to make everything work. So it's like, okay, Chris Humphreys, now you have to take threes. Jared Dudley, you're going to be exclusively a powered forward, and you know we're just going to try to make everything else work. And you know when you do that, I think it just exposed them for kind of being like a pace and pace and. Pace and space impersonator, and I think a lot of teams were just happy to take advantage of that. think, Kyle,
3: yeah, there's definitely something to that um, to that part, Jake. In terms of especially not being ready defensively, and we've heard there's been a couple instances throughout the season. Even Wall, within the past week and a half or so, say that you know we didn't focus on defense enough in training camp. And yeah, you need to figure out how to play pace and space, basic floor shooters, all that. But the toughest component was probably, and part of this arose from, you know, try, like Jake said, trying to sort of backfill resources with, you know, patchwork, like you know, turning Chris Humphreys more into a stretch four who can shoot threes, getting Jared Dudley to be that other stretch four type of guy, and so you enter the season with Dudley hurt a little bit, and you're trying to get Humphreys and Gortat to figure it out defensively in the paint, and traditionally, just some of their numbers in the past when they have played with each other just does not bode well for this team's defense. So I'm sure they could have concentrated on it more, that that defensive aspect. But even with the personnel you have, Humphreys is not a good defender. Dudley has, you know, he's a smart defender, but he has his limitations. So even if you concentrated more on it in training camp, I just don't think they had the personnel to really Execute this offense and then the other component at least on defense to me is having a, a top-notch wing defender um, You know porter auto porter is ideally that guy, but he's just not ready for it yet He we've seen some improvement out of him, but laterally laterally sometimes he doesn't have what it takes to stop dribble drives And then you look at who else can fill in I think they you know I think they honestly expected Allen Anderson to come in and be their best perimeter defender And obviously he dealt with the ankle issues for most of the season, so that put him in the hole. And then otherwise, you know, Dudley, again, he can get the job done. Not always great defending perimeter guys or guys who can dribble drive from the floor. And then Garrett Temple has traditionally been one of the better perimeter defenders on a team, but he just can't guard up. I mean, he gets abused by guys like Carmelo and guys that are just a little bit taller. So when you hear the players point to not focusing on uh, defense and training camp, that really stands out to me as a as a legitimate uh, legitimate thing. And
0: just so, just, I, just to build on that, I I have been spending. I have a story coming out tomorrow on on Charlotte, uh, a team that I've kind of looked at with envy just because they pulled off what. And superficially, they pulled off what the Wizards were supposed to pull off. You know, I spent some time around them and got to learn how they they did it. And the number one theme that I got from from working on that piece, and I don't want to spoil it too much, uh, is it didn't feel that different to them, what they were doing. They had just different personnel and better, stronger personnel. They made some real upgrades, getting Nick Batum, getting Jeremy Lin, uh, getting in the trade deadline, getting Courtney Lee. Guys that could play both ends, I mean, they made real upgrades, but then they kind of went about their training camp just the same way they did regardless. They focused on the same tenants. They still practiced defense. They just spread it out a little more because they had guys who could put the ball in the basket. And so for them, the transformation really wasn't that much of a transformation. It just superficially looks like it. You contrast that to the Wizards, who not only dramatically changed their roster and their identity from – their defense-first identity. They brought in a lot of offensive-minded players. You combine that with the training camp, which they supposedly didn't focus on defense, and just it felt like they were—they really were learning like at a completely new offense. There was this all this talk of pick up with principles and all that. It they made it sound like it was a big change, and I think the reason the Hornets succeeded is that they didn't make it sound like it's a big change.
1: Hmm. And the Hornets, we should say, they integrated, like you said, a lot of new pieces, but also guys who changed the skill sets of the Charlotte Hornets team. I mean, adding Nick Batum arguably changed, obviously for the better here, um, not to put any, you know, swing on it, but he, he gave them someone who can play two ways, which is what you want from Otto Porter, but you don't necessarily get, but you might later in his career, should he keep kind of maturing at this, or learn how to play the game at, at a slightly more advanced level. But I want to set the table guys Too, uh, the wizards are two and a half games out of the eight seed As we do this postmortem, they're 36 and 37, um and they kind of have almost a net neutral they're a point 0.9 po- uh, sorry point 0.9 uh, negative point 0.9 point differential on the season so almost at that breaking even level they're not 25 games under 500 they're not the sixers but they're very much in that middle of the nba right now and, and like we've mentioned this they're kind of like the rockets of the eastern conference can, can you elaborate on that to me you've said this a few times to me off the uh, pod what makes them the rockets of the east to you
0: well, they're just both so maddening. They they have these moments where they look like it's all coming together. Just this week, or just the last few games, you know, the the Atlanta game in Atlanta, it all really started to come together there. They had a great performance. They won by what, eighteen, nineteen points. You, know, you guys can back me up on this. And then three days later, they lose at home to the Timberwolves, and they just—it's maddening and. The Rockets kind of lose games in the same way every time. And the Wizards, when they lose, they lose in the same way every time. You can kind of almost write the script. So I don't know. You guys obviously don't follow the Rockets as much as we do as national folks. But they really are the same team. And I guess what's more frustrating is that the Rockets had title aspirations. The Wizards didn't quite have that. But they just feel like the same team to me.
1: Jake, I have a question for you. Jake, is there a particular player who has disappointed you this season, or a player or two who you could pinpoint as, if we had gotten more from them, the Wizards would be in the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with Bradley Beal. Um, he's, you know, taken a step forward as a player, but he just hasn't been healthy enough to uh, make that consistent. And then when he's out, it it's a lot like the Wizards last year. When Beal was out, they just can't rely on John Wall to do everything offensively and there just isn't another option. So when Beale is dinged up with whatever his latest thing is, it the Wizards just really don't have much unless they're scoring in transition. So I think, you know, even though you can be encouraged by the way he's played, he's still ultimately been a disappointment by not shaking the injury bug. Yeah.
1: Kyle, what do you think about that? No, I definitely agree
3: with Jake is that uh Bill just stands out the most because he is the one, you know, person on his team who can be a real difference maker, especially when they struggled on the offensive end. If you're looking a little bit further down the list of who would be next in line after Bill, I guess, you know, I don't wanna say Otto Porter see C- has been disappointing in terms of, you know, he's really progressed nicely since a rookie season where he just looked completely unprepared. But I think at this point, they're still expecting a little bit more out of Otto. Of course, as we've, you know, watched him a lot of Otto, it's maybe where he should be. But I feel that there's been a lot of games where he sort of completely disappeared. I mean, I think he had that, that road loss in Utah where he had a great three-quarters and then he disappeared in the fourth quarter. And so I think that's been an issue as is this team has tried to account for life without Beale and who's going to score besides Wall and Gortat. Porter stands out. Um, you know, obviously the Gary Neal experiment was sort of disappointing, but I don't think, you know, you could have expected more out of him just sort of and how the Wizards got him, um, and then just the whole Allen Anderson situation. I mean, getting a guy who really had a great playoffs with you know Brooklyn last season, and you sign him. Of course, he had that you know ankle surgery in May, but you figured, gosh, he, he's going to be healthy. By the next season, it just carried over for so long. So if we're, th- if we're going past Beal, uh, those other names stand out to me. Right.
1: So is it, is, is it his ankle right now, guys, or is it his groin? I've, I've been heard, hearing some mixed reports. That You guys are the insiders. Ankle or groin right now? What is
3: his ankle? His agent put something out how it was more his groin now. Um, but I know like within the past you know five or six games, he's also tweaked his ankle a bit. So it's probably a combination of them both.
0: Mm. Very strange. Very strange. Uh, I think there's one player that's also been disappointing that we can talk about later in the show. But I wanna, I wanna go back to Otto Porter a little bit because I think Kyle makes a really interesting point. There's an interesting disconnect, I think, between where the normal progression of a player like him should be and what the Wizards need him to be, which is, you know, you talked about the offense. I think they need him to be a better defensive player, and he just does cannot guard one-on-one the best players in the league. I mean. The other night, Kobe Bryant had moments against him. Kobe Bryant is ancient. <laughs> Kobe Bryant is should not have moments against anybody. But he's, even he's unless getting it's like
1: a Unless it's like a moment, like a senior moment. You know what? Right. Where you, that's something. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it should, they should have moments against him is what I'm saying, <laughs> right. I guess. But uh, he couldn't even stay, stay in front of him a couple times. And I think the way the team is set up, if he's not – Pulling his weight defensively, that's a big problem. And then you add in the fact that his worst shooting was at the beginning of the year where they really needed him to come out strong. And it does feel like even though on the aggregate his numbers are pretty good, it does feel like he has not been what they expected.
1: I mean, look, guys, that's my outward perspective as the you know the more national basketball. That's exactly how I feel about Otto Porter. There's something to be to be you you're wanting there you want him to be something that he's not but also that position he plays in the eastern conference is where all of the best players are that's where paul george is that's where lebron james is that's where carmelo anthony is that's where uh you go down the list of different teams and that's that's where you know nick batum is he has these in- incredibly tough matchups and you're right probably not getting the most out of that i want to get to something real quick though which is how the Wizards perform against Boston, Atlanta, Cleveland, Indiana, Detroit, Chicago, Charlotte, Miami, and Toronto. The other top half teams in the East, they're 13-18 and against them this year. And I don't think you have to look much further than right at those numbers. Um, 0-4 against Toronto, 0-4 against Boston. When you're right around that 8 seed, those are the teams you need to be breaking even with, especially in a league with so much parity. Tell me where they kind of miss, and Kyle, I'll let you start off with this, where are they lacking compared to these? their direct competition? I mean, we're not trying to have them be the number one seed in the NBA playoffs. We just want them to be the eight seed in the East, and somehow they're not there. So where is it that they're missing necessarily against that type of competition?
3: Uh, well, I'll start with the Celtics, because they really seem to have the Wizards number this year. I mean, there have just been some ridiculous blowout losses <laughs> to Boston, and a lot of that seems to be that, you know, Olenek and Sullinger to an extent they can spread the floor better than the Wizards can and the Wizards have a hard time guarding those guys and when they do it uh, and when Wall might not be completely on his perimeter defensive game because again Wall has the potential to be Gary Payton but he sort of he takes plays off on defense sometimes and he sort of maybe took an entire month in of November off <laughs> and, it, and as a superstar player yes that happens I think Jared Dudley was you know sort of jokingly mocking that wall takes plays off sometimes but he also is their leader on defense and when he can't contain isaiah thomas he's just really tough for anyone to contain uh being having an all-star year like he is the celtics just are able to get in spread the floor more than the wizards can imagine doing and i think you also i mean you can't mention that aspect without mentioning brad stevens and just how he's like he just really outcoached Washington each time, whether it comes to the, the the entire game strategy or just like late game plays that where Whitman could just not match him on certain offensive plays, and the Wizards just you know they hit some stuff with the Wizards weren't even expecting that. I think I'm thinking of one, uh, one overtime loss in DC. I think there was a close game, and they just sort of, uh, I think Kelly Oubre was in at toward the end for you know various injury reasons, and they just threw it right over his head to Jay Crowder, and Oubre wasn't ready. His, the Wizards teammates, what well, you know, he, his teammates weren't ready, and so Boston has had their number. Toronto, that's even going back over the past couple years, which is really it makes that that sweep in the first round of the playoffs <laughs> even more almost fun and baffling to remember. Uh, I, I think Toronto, <laughs> Toronto again, when they're not playing, you know, Valanciunas is almost their weak point against the Wizards. Gortat usually wins that matchup, but when they're playing some of their other stretch guys like Patterson and whatever. They've, again, just been able to get their offense going in ways that, that the Wizards can't. And a lot of it has been Beal has been injured. So when you're facing Toronto, it's like it's tough to match both Lowry and DeRozan and their ability to take to take Wizards defenders off the dribble.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and Jake, I wanted to get your opinion on this because they are 2-2 two and two against Cleveland and they've played them pretty well. Do you see any type of uh, punching up and then playing down thing going on with the Wizards?
2: Yeah, I I definitely think there's an element of that. I think um, particularly when it comes to how well they've played with, like, Cleveland and San Antonio, I think it helps that both those teams are very big-oriented and so that they can kind of hide some of their deficiencies um, because they've always struggled guarding smaller lineups. And I think, you know, Cleveland and San Antonio don't really do that well. But just on general you always know the wizards are. They just have this pattern of getting up for big teams and then struggling against really poor teams, and you can almost kind of peg the schedule where you're where you know you're going to get a good effort and where you're going to get a bad effort, and then it's just a matter of whether that leads to a win or not.
0: In general, yeah. they, they just seem like a spurk team a lot. So when they're able to run, when the pick and roll with Wall and Gortat is working, when. They're able to kind of push off misses when they play teams that don't realize that they need to cover the three. When they can kinda of, even when they can kind of set up their half-court defense, it all goes well. But if one of those things goes wrong for a little bit of time, they don't have a lot of answers. I find it very ironic and very very it reflects very poorly on the coaching that they're a small team that can't guard other small teams. To me, that's <laughs> very That's a very bad sign. I also just think they only have one guy who can make any plays off the dribble. I think that's a big factor. That's where Beal's injury looms large.
1: Well, I'll say this. We've had two mentions now of coaching, so we might as well just get into it. Randy Whitman, guys. 173 and 195 for a 470 win percentage in five-plus seasons now. Uh, Let's see. Mike, you told me that he was going to be fired last year before the playoffs. Then they won that playoff series we just talked about, that aforementioned sweep of Toronto. Saved his job for another year. Got this season to play out without being fired during the year. Uh, Mike, I want to get your opinion first on this, and then and Jake and Kyle, f- obviously feel free to chime in. Was this one season too many, and that was fool's gold in the playoffs last year? Give me your thoughts on the Whitman era as a whole. Just Randy Whitman on the table, guys. Let's, let's dissect it.
0: Uh, it certainly looks like fool's gold now. Uh, but what I find interesting is that He succeeded so well going small last year, and it's very against his philosophy. I mean, when they were playing well, it was two big men in the paint. It was tough defense, a post-oriented offense. They flipped the script for 10 games in the playoffs, right? I mean, this is a very small sample. And then they come back to training camp, and he's now got to teach a style that he's never taught before. And I think we've talked about this already, but execution-wise, the transition was not managed well. You know, he didn't know how to teach it. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised he's not fired yet. I suspect there may be some financial reasons for that, although you guys would know better than me on that front. I suspect it may have something to do with his contract ending, and I also suspect it may have something to do with the fact that they were close to firing him a couple times, and they, he's managed to rally the team. And I guess the thought was he was going to do it again. You guys can speak to that more than me, but, you know, it, I think it would be – a real problem if he's back next year. I mean, now that his contract is up.
2: Jake, Kyle, feel free to chime in on on that. Go ahead. Yeah. I think with uh, Whitman, you know, there was always kind of this lingering feeling that even though his X's and O's weren't solid, that the team had his back. So even though they'd go through rough patches, you know, they would still defend well and they would, you know, seem to put it together, you know, once, you know, because, playoffs kind of have a way of just letting the best players be the best players. Yeah. And I think that kind of in the, in a way hid some of Whitman's weaknesses. So, you know, they came into this year thinking, okay, now Whitman's finally committed to going small and he's going to do all the modern principles. And then, you know, it feels right in the preseason when they have the best offense and everything's clicking. But then when the rest of the NBA shows, okay, here's our normal defense, <laughs> Then it it all goes, you know, downhill and I think that's I think the team kinda lost some of their faith and once they realize that, you know, New Age Randy Whitman isn't gonna save them, I think that's you know, they haven't really been able to get up for the the easy games because they just know it's kinda pointless. What do you think, Kyle?
3: Yeah, I think I think you're 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 right about that and well, they, they sort of fell into a trap with Whitman in that, you know, he was responsible for changing the culture of this team. I mean, Nene and Walsh, some of those other guys are still around when Javel McGee and Andre Blatch were around. And Whitman has had his like, you know, I'm not putting up with kids anymore stuff. He did the, uh, the Blatch did not play with conditioning. And so he, I think some of the older players appreciate how he took a stand, you know, against those younger players and their, their antics. And I really believe that when, you know, in a couple of times they sort of extended Whitman past his interim phase, and I guess they gave him the sort of most recent re-up before the 2014-15 season, I really do think Ted Leonsis and Grunfeld and Tommy Shepard those guys listened to endorsements from Wall and Nene saying, like, hey, you know, this guy's our coach. We can work with him. And then it just sort of hit him in, in this year in that I think – whether there's this controversy over not spending enough time on defense and training camp versus, you know, how they've been guarding a pick and roll and, and, and players saying things about lack of in-game adjustments and Whitman just like, you know, why don't you stop the dribble drives? And they, they just got, I think he was unequipped to bring them both into pace and space from an offensive perspective, especially, but also on the defensive end. And then you look at, you know, they've been, there's been some times this year where you really thought he would get fired, even coming off the, that sort of West Coast trip where they lost, you know, the back three games or lost three in a row, or even early in the season when they were just floundering. And part of it is what Mike alluded to, is that I I think in general, Leontis is going to scrutinize how he's spending extra dollars or unnecessary dollars, but in the same light, like. I don't think they could have promoted anyone on the staff to be interim head coach and had any additional effectiveness. I mean, that's a, Don that's a really good is the number one guy. Yeah, I mean, Don Newman has had experience, but he's never been a, like an NBA coach. And, you know, some of the other guys like Zierden or, you know, Roy Rogers or Howard Isley um, or Pat Sullivan, they're just all inexperienced guys. And I don't want to use Doc Rivers, like staff as a great example, but he's got like Lawrence Frank and Mike Woodson and maybe someone else on his staff who have been head NBA coaches. So I think the wizards got into positions like, Hey, if it's not Whitman, it's not anyone on the staff, we can't, we're not going to bring someone new in this situation. And they just sort of, everyone got stuck with each other and hoped everything, you know, everything would work out. And if not blame injuries.
1: Well, so uh, if I, if I can get all three of your opinions and then Jake, I want yours last. Cause you have the, uh, the ear to the ground with bullets forever, sort of the, the temperature of the fan base. Um, if you guys had it your way, Mike, you first, firing him or keeping him?
0: Oh, I, I mean, it's not even firing him at this point, just not resigning not, him. Not
1: retaining him, sure, I, sure. And, I,
0: uh, I, I don't think you can possibly retain him. And, you know, to piggyback a little bit on what Kyle was saying, I think he raises a good point that, you mm. know, at the time that they brought him in, he was the right coach for that moment. And because he was the right coach, you know, there was a big problem with that team where I think, the players were kind of being killed publicly without really much changing privately. If you remember kind of that period with JaVel and Nick Young, and there was just, it almost felt like there was a lot of public exasperation without really much happening. And Randy Whitman came in there and actually flipped the script and there was not much publicly. It was a very stern message, but there were actually things that changed with Andre Blatch and WT conditioning and all that. And there was a period where that was very valuable. And then, that bought him some leeway, I think, a couple times. But then again, once you get to the point where the coach has now got to change the way the team plays while still incorporating it into a philosophy that is successful, basically doing what Steve Clifford did. And I hate to bring Charlotte back into it, but I just think that's such a poignant example of the two of the coaching staffs of the two franchises. That's where he failed. Um, as far as his future, I, I mean, I don't think see there's any way they can keep him, and it's going you to know. be interesting to see who they go for because. You know, do you go for someone like try to get in the Tom Thibodeau sweepstakes and bring the team maybe back to the tough, hard-nosed defensive identity you had under Whitman, or do you maybe go with an assistant on a team like Atlanta like Kenny Atkinson or someone like that that will per- continue the pushing the ball and opening the floor type of thing?
1: Kyle, what would you have it if you had it your way? No, I mean, I, there's no
3: way you can bring Whitman back at this point. Even if they do sneak in the playoffs, I mean, it would take like a miracle first-round upset against the Cavs, and then maybe you think about it just because uh, that circumstance. But there's just no way that this team can move forward, especially if they are opening themselves to you know trying to attract Durant and other free agents. Those big, a big name like Durant needs to know that. Uh, he might have some influence on a coach coming in. And Durant will publicly he'll he'll say it doesn't matter, but those sure. are sort of the facts when you're evaluating potential destinations. Yep.
1: Yep. And then Jake, uh, last but not least here, you have the pulse of the of the Bullets Forever site. How has there is there a loud or a loud clamoring for, for Whitman's head? Is it just like good riddance after this? What what do you what do you hear and what do you think?
2: Yeah, I I think everyone pretty much assumes he's gone at this point. It's just a matter of you know, ride out the season with him because, like Kyle said, I think there's just a, a lack of faith that any of the assistant coaches would be able to do anything better. So, you know, it's kind of you just have to ride it out. But I think if if he were to come back, I think that would kind of reinforce um, a notion that the Wizards are very just complacent with being okay. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's just not going to cut it yeah it's funny guys because you bring up Thibodeau
1: but then I think you have a team of guys who have consistently been in, I mean Bradley Beal plays what if, if Thibs is his coach he doesn't make it through preseason I'm assuming <laughs> you know I, I feel like his body would be broken into the he'd be a, a cloud of dust by the time the season started um but I'm glad that we've brought up these decisions that need to be made because there's a guy who's been making them since 2003 Mr. Ernie Grunfeld uh got a very polarizing name in the NBA world. He's taken the reins of of a number of different teams to varying degrees of success. He's uh, had five seasons over 500 guys since 2003. And that doesn't feel like a lot of seasons in the grand scheme of it. But he's got the whole future in his hands at the moment. Is that the guy you want with the future? Say the Kevin Durant pipe dream, uh, the the lack of first round pick this year, uh, the way that the trade deadline just went. I know there's a lot going on here in the Grunfeld uh, era. Pray to kick it off, man. Thoughts on the era as a whole and then ultimately where it's moving in the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, uh, no, I I think it's time. (laughs) Jake (laughs) talked about complacency uh, and the sense of if they were to keep Whitman, that would be a sign of complacency. I mean, I think it's even more pronounced with this front office, not that they have made done terribly at everything. I mean, they've had some, degree of success and there are some moves that have worked out very well but this is a guy who's been on the job his regime has been on the job now since 2003 that's longer than almost any other GM in the league the only GMs that have been around longer have won championships and Grunfeld's teams have not won 46 games yet I mean (laughs) that's the most they've won and I think I think what this this requires is someone you know Ernie is very good I think at executing a plan and you know, sometimes adjusting on the fly. But I, I don't I don't get the sense that there's some sort of overarching creativity to the way this is going. I think particularly when you think about cap management, when you think about player development, which has been a major problem with this organization, when you think about, you know, just draft selection, the kinds of things that sort of build a long-term, you know, program, I don't think that they've done a particularly well, <clears throat> good job. And what they, I think they've done better at is, let's acquire someone that we know that has a track record that we think will fit in better here than somewhere else. You know, and that there's admirable to be able to do that, but to as you move forward, I mean, this is a very big offseason because frankly the Wizards are on the clock. John Wall now has I think 4 more years left on his contract, 3 more years. And once you sign that second contract, that's you got 6 years to really prove it to your star player. And this is the only summer it looks like the Wizards might be have a degree of cap room. And unfortunately it coincides with the rest of the league having Capram. So the time to really lay the foundation is now it's got to happen now. And you know, Ernie and his regime have done some nice things, but they've had their chance. I think it's now it's time for a fresh start.
1: Kyle, what do you think?
3: Yeah. You know, this is a the tough one. Cause you know, you look at the big picture like we tend to do and a fresh start seems like it would be needed. If our Leonis, he sort of assumed control of the Wizards from Poland when you know he inherited Grunfeld as a GM. And at some point, when you're looking at your business, you say, "Hey, let's let's think things differently. Get some new blood in place." Not that Grunfeld has done a terrible job, and again, he's actually put the Wizards in a pretty decent position. I mean, the only players under contract are Wall, Porter, Gortat, Ubre, Marquise Morris, and presumably Beal. And I still think the Morris trade, you know, giving up that that pick, although I guess some would have wanted it to be lottery protected. I still think that's actually a decent trade considering what a, what a good coach might be able to get out of Morris's talent and how he's, his contract is quite affordable over the next three years. But and you look at, you know, so what GMs are out there who'd want this job? I would say a lot of them just because salary cap wise, this team is set up nicely to be flexible and move for, you know, toward the future with the talent they have. And so part of me just wonders, like, are they just going to fire Whitman, let Grunfeld hire, you know, the second coach he's ever hired during his tenure, which is hard to believe. Like, he inherited Eddie Jordan, he hired (laughs) Flip Saunders, a new coach, and then Whitman sort of rose up through an interim. So imagine being on a job for so long and you've only hired one coach technically. (laughs) Something in the back of my mind suspects that they might move on from Whitman but keep Grunfeld to see if he executes the vision. But then maybe Ted Leontes is looking at his Washington Capitals and how, you know, George McPhee was their GM for so long and sort of brought them to a ceiling. And now, you know, he got a new GM. The Caps, I, I, they still have to prove themselves in the playoffs, but they're having, you know, one of their more better legitimate seasons over a run of great seasons. And oh, yeah. so you'll you wonder if Leontes says, like, okay, well, I, you know, we can, we can execute hiring someone mm-hmm. new without it being totally disruptive, Let's get, like like Preta says, get some new blood in here and sort of move forward past the previous regime.
1: I'm glad you brought up uh, the Capitals, by the way, because this is, as someone from Philadelphia who's at the low point in Philadelphia sports history right now, with uh, the Flyers being maybe a playoff team and the other three teams being horrendous laughingstocks, um, this is a high point in D.C. sports, with the exception right now uh, of the Wizards. The Wizards are kind of floundering, but the Caps are having their best regular season ever. The Redskins were a miraculous playoff team. There's all this hope in the future. And the Nationals are one of Vegas' picks to be one of the three best teams in baseball. So th- I kind of feel like that atmospheric pressure of the sports surrounding you does play into effect, at least in the psychology of fan bases. So there's this want for the Wizards to be better quicker, and maybe that's uh, that plays in a little bit I don't know. At least psychologically, to the fan base, angst with the Wizards as a whole. Where you guys have, look at it from a positive standpoint. You have John Wall. That's better than like I don't know ten teams in the NBA. Can't that's say they have a guy like John Wall.
0: That's true. Uh, someone who knows the Caps a little better. What is their new GM done <laughs> a little bit differently this year? I'm I'm very curious because I think that's a very interesting point that Kyle makes.
1: Kyle, go ahead, man. <laughs> Just from I mean, and I'm not totally
3: connected into the hockey sort of in the NHL, sure. but I have a lot of friends who played hockey in high school. So they really follow the caps passionately. And I think just this year, there's just more balance in the past. The caps were almost, I don't know if we're calling them the Phoenix Suns of the, the NHL or, or, you know, those old Suns teams that would score a lot. Um, you know, I don't, they would, they would score a lot of points and have a lot of offense in the past. While, This team this year feels a lot more legitimately balanced, especially on a defensive end, their ability to kill some of the power plays. So, you know, I can't speak to all the various personnel and roster moves that they've made and the exact complexities of it. But it just seems like they're a more balanced team. um,
0: Sorry to cut you off. um, They have a new coach that the old GM hired or the new GM hired? Not even. Uh,
2: sure. this is
3: Barry Trotz's second year on the job and and I'm I
0: believe I can't remember. He, I believe he's a new he was a new. Yeah, because Adam was Oates was
3: the, was the previous coach. Yeah. And they yeah.
0: And they oh, but, made some moves to add more defense, right? I mean they let go they let go of Mike Green, right? They they made some other moves. It in that case, I mean, the new blood really helped. And I think Part of well, what, I, what I think about with this current regime is that yet they have left the team superficially in a pretty good position, I think, where you talk about having a top-20 player, having a lot of cap space, having some decent complementary pieces. And I think you're right, Kyle, in that the, the Morris trade, if you look at the balance sheet, that may work out fairly well for them. This is a weak draft, and he has a good contract. And I would say that he's played pretty well, all things considered, since coming over. But I just think that philosophically this team needs to start valuing the draft, start valuing uh, some different salary cap machinations, and really thinking about how does their roster work on both ends and how do they get more out of their best players rather than some of the some of the moves that I think they've made to kind of placate a style that they no longer play. And this is a big summer to shape that narrative, and that's why I think it's good to have another person in charge of
1: Who's going to make that? Say Grunfeld's the one who gets fired. That becomes Ted Leonson's decision. Who the next general manager is, oh. or is there... Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, is that really what you want? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm
0: not. I I'm not exactly what you're saying, sure, but I yeah. mean, that's just the reality. I mean, I think sure. It's always it's with any sure. team. That's it's the owner's decision.
1: And I'm glad we went down that hockey. Uh, you know uh, rabbit hole for a sec because it showed why we have an nba podcast mike um, <laughs> <laughs> and i like hockey i watch the flyers all the time i just it's hard for me to get that national perspective i will say the one thing they did was they brought in justin williams who's just a winner he's like an nba equivalent of uh, i'm trying to think of a good guy who's like oh, yeah, that a da- very a david, consummate
0: a david west who the wizards tried to sign mm-hmm. last summer
1: Sure, yeah, like David West, he's won some, t- I mean, I don't think David West has titles, but you know what I'm saying, a, a guy who can contribute both on and off the bench, and I think there's definitely perhaps a lack of leadership with this Wizards team. That it, It's evident in the ebbs and flows of the bad losses and the good wins. Consistency and leadership usually go hand, uh, hand in hand. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask, uh, you know, for, for you, Jake, was how much of the comment section, you know, of the fodder is a Kevin Durant related? Anytime you talk about free agency or next season, how much of that is steered directly to to Kevin Durant?
2: Well, it's it's tricky because I think everyone has the understanding now that it would take either the Wizards winning the lottery, so they have another uh, chip to throw at KD, plus the Thunder, you know, imploding, and plus you know KG just really enjoying washington dc to make something happen but you know it's kind of depressing because once you get past Durant, even though there's a lot of cap space there's not you know a lot of franchise changers out there sure and so and that's where you go back to you know grunfeld you know he's had decent success kind of with your low-end low-risk players turning you know nothing into something but you know when he's had a lot of money he tends to spend it on guys who couldn't get the big deal elsewhere or guys he's already had experience with, and that's where it gets a little worrisome. Sure,
1: sure. I mean, good thing Marty Collins and Adam Morrison aren't free agents this offseason. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, no, that raises a good <laughs> question,
0: though. Jake raises a good point. Like, So let's assume that Durant is not going to D.C., which I think is a yep. safe assumption. Like, What do you do if you're the Wizards no matter who's in charge. Go ahead. You
3: go after Nick. Do you go after Nick Batum? Like, is he? I, I, at one point, I would say Al Horford was Plan B, but recently, I think with the addition of Morris and how his contract is, you can't. And, and I think Morris and Gortat are starting. Caliber combo in the NBA, they they can be pretty good. So I don't know if you throw a max contract after 30 year old Al Horford. Well, he'll be 30 this summer. Um, I mean, but you know, Jake has a point. There's not a lot of other big names that will legitimately be available. So you know, even Batum is a restricted free agent. Or do you try to find random fillers? Like I don't think the Wizards should go after Jeff Green or someone like that. It's just I'm curious to see how this free agent market actually plays out with so much money available.
0: See, and this was is, this is a setting where I think it would help to have a different sort of GM, and not not to mm-hmm. say that that the current GM has has had had not had successes because he has, but this is a summer where I think it takes a real discerning eye for talent, someone who really understands the league and someone who really understands the power of that cap space beyond just a use of money to throw at somebody the next guy on the list, you know, and that it this can be dangerous if they sign the wrong guy this summer. And also to remember that they can use their salary for a trade as well. I mean, they don't have to – it doesn't have to be by signing somebody. It could be by acquiring someone via trade. And it would help, I think, also if they had – this is where I think it would help just to have more young players in the roster because that would just make it easier to pull off different trades if that's what you want to do. So I I just think this is the summer where it just requires a different sort of voice. I know I've said that millions of times, but that's what worries me is the fear that Jake brought up, which is – that there's a lot of money out there to spend and not a lot of people to spend it on.
1: Sure. What, what about like a, a trend, kind of more of a transition free agent, like Ryan Anderson or uh, Harrison Barnes is a restricted free agent. I think they're kind of interesting guys who could maybe help stretch the court a little bit for the Wizards. Uh, in Barnes' case, he's athletic. He might be a much more valuable asset on a team that isn't using him for a very niche role like Golden State is. What, what are your thoughts on. So not top-end, but that just second-tier free agency where you can maybe make wise contracts to make your team better.
0: Well, they're not going to be wise contracts. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Ryan Anderson is going to make a max or close to a max salary. If you want Harrison Barnes, you're going to have to pay the Piper to get him. So that's the real unfortunate thing. I think, in theory, that is a good strategy. But, like, who is the guy that's going to come on a fair – that's where I think you – again, it's – that is a very difficult question to answer, even for a skilled GM. You know, I, I kind of like Ken Bazemore a little bit, but I think even he's going to be a fifteen million dollar plus player.
1: Yeah, the Fournier Bazemore, uh, you know, players who are going to make way more than they ever thought they would in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very true. But guys, after. Kind of analyzing the front office here, and if there's if there's anything else uh, you would like to add on to the Randy Whitman, Ernie Grunfeld portion of this podcast, uh, please go ahead. If we have we missed anything, is there anything else we should we should touch on in that uh the Ernie Whitman uh, aspect here? Anybody, whoever uh, hold your peace?
2: Yeah, just on uh, one last thing. Um, sure. Well, it's true as Kyle mentioned that Ernie's only gotten to hire one head coach. At the same time, if he got to stay and fire Whitman, that would be the thirties fired. And it's really hard to find, I think, a GM in any sport, any situation that gets to hire, I mean, to, gets to fire three head coaches without getting past the second round of the playoffs. That's interesting. I, yeah. No, I, for I sure. think that would, that would be a interesting dilemma they'd have to kind of broach if they did decide to go that path.
1: Sure. Because okay. at, at what point does the responsibility fall on the general manager and not the head right. coach? Right. Yes. How, mm-hmm. how
0: many how many managers has Mike Rizzo hired and fired? <laughs> it's uh, what Jim Riggleman, Davey Johnson, uh, Matt mm-hmm. Williams, and Dulcie Baker. That's just an yeah. just an interesting cross board parallel. We can move on.
1: Yeah, but there's something different about baseball because you're at all times managing different layers of baseball. You have your minor league systems, you have this, you know, this draft that's 35 rounds long. So there's this, you can be doing successful things without winning baseball games. And in an NBA, it's much more of a results-driven league,
2: I think. Yeah. And to be um, fair, R- Riggleman and Davey didn't uh, get fired. That's true. It'll be technical. Yeah,
1: and Matt true. Williams was asking to yeah. be fired, basically yes. without saying "fire me." He was asking <laughs> to be
2: fired,
1: yes um, the the entire season. Well that brings us to this final point here, which is, well, I'll just ask it, and then we can kind of come from uh, you know come from the full circle here. Has John Wall had a good season? Pray to what do you think about that? Has John Wall been a superstar this season?
0: I think that. I, I want to preface this by saying that John Wall is not the team's problem. I mean, they are really nowhere without him. And some of the problems that have caused him to play the way he has are, are kind of symptoms of larger issues. So I don't want this to, make, to sound like I'm blaming John Wall for this season. But I think <laughs> there are elements of his play that have really hurt them and that set a tone for the rest of the roster. I think we talked about defensively. He is not the same force he was last year. I think offensively, while he's improved his three-point shot, he's really taken a step back, I think, on those elbow jumpers and finishing around the basket. And the league has sort of figured out that, like, when he drives and he starts to attack the basket, he really wants to throw it to the weak side corner. He doesn't want to finish. And so I think that his it's caused more turnovers, and that has really been a problem for this team, because, especially when you play fast because – Your floor balance is off. And and I think that's a big factor in how they're playing, that the tone has not been set. And he was just, when they really needed him, I think, to be at his best, he was very bad in November by his standards. And I want to be clear, I'm talking about by his standards. I think last year he was better than the public realized. And I think we saw glimpses of that in the playoffs, just how much his game had grown. And I think this year he's taken a step back from that. And that that's and I think that's a big factor in how they played this year. I
1: tend to agree. Kyle, what do you think,
3: bud? No, I, d- I definitely agree. And Mike, the, the whole by-his-standards part that Mike brings up is just a great point. Because, you know, I think Wall has had a great season. But he's been inconsistent between amazing and quite good and then just sort of okay when – this team and, and even as we spoke about the wizards earlier about all that needed to go right for them to be successful this team needs a lot to go right and it starts with john wall being at the top of his game every single night and and from that bad november where the wizards went 4 and 7 i think the some other people in the team really look i mean everyone knows john wall is a leader he happily assumes that role he's learned a lot about becoming a leader from guys like trevor reza and emeka okafor and paul pierce and when they've had sort of you know locker room meetings to set Wall in place i so he's grown a lot in that regard but i still think he has a lot to learn and he the other his teammates probably see him as even more of a leader than he sees himself at times and so what that means is when he just didn't come out in November and later on he's he even admitted himself that he was, you know, not in as much shape or the whole team wasn't in shape yet to run the this sort of pace and space offense, which sort of makes it's it's a little bit of a head scratcher. So it's like, okay, get get in shape. You guys, you know, he participated in team USA, but it's not like he did a ton this summer. So I think him not being really ready to pull this team more than he probably had to, and this is maybe going against some of the stuff with Whitman we talked about earlier about him not necessarily being the right coach for pace and space, that the the early season trouble sort of snowballed a little bit, and it has been too much to recover from. And so now the Wizards go through bouts of where they're great, and Wall has been great, but I think just this tone of inconsistency or when. Uh, you know, when they start out third-quarters batter, or first-quarters batter or give up a lead, you see this sort of body language thing and not just Wall, but also in other guys like Bill and Gratata and Nene. And there just hasn't been... Uh, I don't think there's been a strong enough voice b- bringing them forward, and Wall needs to be more of that guy.
1: Yeah, Jake, would you uh, would you agree with the sentiment here of uh, of Kyle and, uh, and Prada?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, by, you know... Any kind of optical measure, Wall's had a very, very good year, but just it wasn't the the season the Wizards needed, given the circumstances and everything else. Um, you know, I think Wall dealt with a lot of challenges losing, you know, Paul Pierce is like a locker room voice and just kind of adjusting to kind of a new offense, but then, once he got, you know, into the teeth of the offense realizing that it really wasn't any more effective than what they'd been doing before. Hmm. And so, you know, I think there's there's a lot of um, you know, things with the environment surrounding Wall that you could point to for reasons why he's had a downturn this year. But, you know, I think there's still been some things in his control that he let slip, especially on the defensive end this season that has kind of been letdown for him but you know like Mike's talked about a lot you know development isn't always linear and I think you know a setback year like this can you know set the seeds for something bigger next year
0: and I I will say I think it's a very important development that he can shoot the three ball now I mean that that's very Mm -hmm. important for his long-term future I, I think he's had a year like James Harden a very similar sort of started off really slow and it's kind of spent the entire rest of the year playing catch up and trying to get his team to play catch up. And that has produced a lot of really good things. And I would not, James Harden has not had a bad year objectively, even though he is, I think he's taken a step back from where he was last year. And that's the disappointment. And the rest of the team, while there are bigger problems with both of those teams, and it's still the best player does set a tone. And I, I don't think the tone has been great. And, He's just been a little ornery this year and uh, and I don't want to speculate why but I, I just think it's it's interesting how open he was about the lack of support he got locally uh and how honest he's been about that as a reporter and a media member I appreciate that honesty I mean, but I can I'm not saying that's a good thing for him the way he's acting and the way for his team and just for his own well-being I don't know what's going on there but it just feels like he's been a little ornery. Does he In, not the touch on
3: if I can touch on one thing that that Mike said real quick, and and this alludes to teams knowing that Wall might kick out on drives, is that he's averaging 6.2 free throw attempts per 100 possessions, and that's his lowest average of his six career six year career. And even like you know this year, uh, in the last two years, have been lower than his averages over the first three years of his career. So you would expect someone, especially if you're spreading the floor and offense a little bit more you expect a superstar like him to be averaging at least eight, eight and a half, maybe even nine free-throw attempts per 100 possessions, possessions, and he just hasn't been earning those trips like you feel a superstar like him would.
1: Hmm. That's an interesting stat. I, I would have assumed he'd been at the line far more, more you know, closer to what Westbrook's doing because they play a similar wild pace, uh, you know, compared to their, their average
0: man. Well, um, they don't really, though, and that's the right. thing. I mean, they, <laughs> right, he wants well, they athletically, to pass... He wants to pass yeah. the ball. And he finishing is just not yeah. been. He's taken a step back there. When, no, when right. you contest his layups, he doesn't finish them with as much touch as his peers. And that's. And,
1: and I'm glad you brought up free throws, too. Um, we talked a little off air about this, uh, Jake, but uh, second half of the season, the Wizards are shooting 68% from the free throw line and only 73% from the free throw line for the season. That's 25th in the league, and it's only better than the Sixers. And then. Uh, Drummond's team, DeAndre Jordan's team, Howard's team, and Rondo's team. So that's bad. Um, And I think it doesn't take much more than watching it. I mean, obviously, college basketball is different. But you turn the ball over and you miss free throws, you lose games, especially when you're a team who doesn't have a large margin of error like the Wizards here. Um, And I feel like when your point differential for the season is less than negative one for the whole season and you're shooting 73% from the line, you can probably pinpoint off the top of your heads you guys right here on the podcast three or four games that they win if they just make their free throws, and all of a sudden now you're the eight seed, and maybe this whole discussion's a little bit different. Surely there are lots of things that go into uh, a season where we're doing a post-mortem with nine games left, Um, but uh, I just thought that was an interesting, pretty simple statistic that they seem to be at the wrong end of. And uh, I definitely don't really have any other thoughts myself here, but if there's anything else we've missed, you guys are on the beat with the Wizards all day long, all season long, is there anything that we have not touched on that is just be it be we'd be remiss to have missed it?
0: Real quick, what do you think they should do with Beal this summer?
1: Ooh, okay. anyone Wait, take the four on?
3: That.
0: Is that an automatic resign? That's tough. Sometimes
3: I feel that Grunfeld is a type that. Although he did not do this with Wall, Beal's a different situation given his injuries um, and given the market. I, I don't. Does Grunfeld risk letting the market set a contract for Beal? Um, and the wizard just knowing that they'll match it. Maybe that I don't think teams will be cold in terms of throwing out contract offers to RFA's this summer, like they were last summer. So uh, you know, you, you run a risk of them putting out some another team making an offer that makes it tough on the wizard salary wise. Although that's hard to imagine when the cap keeps coming up. But I don't think that he's just an automatic you know max type of guy. Um, but then that that also runs a pretty big risk.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I I think Beal is, and I'm going to try to write about this at some point. He he's very closely following the Eric Gordon path now, and Mm -hmm. you know Eric Gordon kind of had a very tricky restricted free agency where the Suns threw a max offer at him, and then Gordon came out publicly and asked the Hornets not to match it, and they did anyway, and you know it kind of just set the tone for you know Eric Gordon really hasn't had a great career in New Orleans and you know now Beal's at a spot where I think you almost have to let the market dictate his rate just because he's such a uncertain commodity with his potential but also his injury concerns and so it's a very dicey area but I think ultimately you know you can't let Beal go for nothing. You know, for everything you invested in him, so I think you just have to kind of ride it out, and hopefully, whoever he signs an offer sheet with, um, they get a good rate.
1: You know, it's it's funny, guys, because when I was you know researching, because I, I used to be more into the the college game and the transition from the draft into the NBA than I was this year, where I was far more NBA centric. But Eric Gordon was Beal's comp on Draft Express, uh, which I find very interesting now that, <laughs> that Beal's career has started to mirror that. And I think that's a really good comparison. Um, I a, also will say this. It's uh, a scary one. I, <laughs> it's a scary one it's indeed. It's a very scary uh, one. Uh, but I'll say this. What, what will ultimately keep Beal, in my opinion, in, in D.C. is for those glimpses when Beal and Wall are on and it's clicking, and then you have the second-best backcourt in the NBA, arguably. And that is really difficult to, to shake up. I mean, I, I would say from an outward perspective, as an ish Smith supporter, I just don't <laughs> have anything like that. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh,
0: I think they're boxed in. and I, I, yeah, What they could try to yeah. do is that they could say, look, you've had this injury problem. We're willing to give you a five-year contract. You can't get that by signing an offer sheet elsewhere, but you're going to have to give us a little bit back. And that that to me seems like the logical solution for both sides where it's a five-year deal but not quite at the max I think that would that would make sense for both sides
1: yeah yeah I think uh, I think you kind of nailed that too but hopefully that'll be a new general managers decision to make for a new coach uh, if we have the uh, temperature of this podcast correct but uh I'll, let, uh I'll let I'll let you put a final bow on this post-mortem before I do our little post here how would you tie up this wizard season buddy what 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 is the the uh, what is the capstone to this podcast of the Washington Wizards 2015-2016 season post-mortem?
0: Uh, I think it's the uh, the vine that was circulating the other day where Zach Levine hits the fall three and the Wizards kid can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> this, the stars were all lined up this year. This was supposed to be the year that they were really going to push for the Eastern Conference Finals, playing this new dynamic style that works so well in the playoffs. And it just went horribly wrong and now you don't know what the next part of the journey is and just like that kid you're you're sitting there in agony wondering what the next step is it's just been a really really frustrating year the last time I can remember a year this disappointing was the year where Gilbert was caught and Javaris crit and had their little showdown in the locker room that's the last <laughs> time I can think of where good things were expected and it just imploded in such a frustrating way
1: Oh man. Kyle, final word from you?
3: Uh, no, I think Mike, Mike hit it pretty solidly here. And it's the one thing I think it makes it even more disappointing for a lot of Wizards fans is this is the first time in a while where you feel like, oh, they, they really have this young talent to move forward. Because um, it, it even goes back to the Howard and Weber days. You had young talent to move forward, and that was pretty quickly and hastily broken up. Um, and, and like the Gilbert Arena stage, you're signing someone's second round pick, you're bringing in veterans and, and Jameson and Butler. So that was a little bit different. But what's now? You have this 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 core that you really feel good about, but they just can't find a way to make use of it. And and another disappointing season in the franchise uh, history book is not that unsurprising. But I think it's <laughs>
1: um,
3: this is one of the more disappointing ones. Um, even even perhaps even more so than that uh, than that two thousand eight two thousand nine season.
2: Oh God! And Jake, for the final uh, death knell here, what the? What do you got? Yeah. Well, the 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 crazy thing about this year was this was supposed to be the Wizards coming out party where they were going to show that they were a franchise that could handle um, having a superstar like Kevin Durant. This mm-hmm. was supposed to be them laying the groundwork and showing that everything was in place. But then. Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, being in the spotlight works both ways. Instead of, you know, showing off everything that's great about you, it shows off all your blemishes, all your faults, um, everything that doesn't measure up. And you yep. think back to just about every um, high visibility game for the Wizards, um, they've all gone downhill, whether it was when they hosted the Thunder and they got waxed by 24, or, you know, like the first stop on the Kobe farewell tour when he scores 31 and meets the Wizards, <laughs> and, you know, culminating with last Friday when they lost to the Timberwolves in double overtime in a dramatic game where, you know, you could say a lot of bad breaks went the Wizards' way, but that's where you don't put yourself in a position where bad breaks cost you a game to the Timberwolves. Whew.
1: Man, you guys just summed that up. Now I feel a little bit better. I have to be totally honest here, guys. <laughs> I feel a little bit better about being a Sixers fan after those last three, uh, the closing arguments here. It makes me, uh, at least makes me know that there's some other fan bases that are going through different but similar emotions that I am uh, as a Sixers fan. So I really uh, really want to say thank you and appreciate having uh, Jake Whitaker and uh, Kyle Weedai on. That's Jake Whitaker of Bullets Forever. He's a site manager. And Kyle Weedai from truthaboutit.com. Really appreciate you guys joining us. I know uh, Mike and I have been kicking this around for a while, so it definitely is nice to kind of have a Wizards podcast, albeit maybe under some better circumstances the next time we do it. But uh, really big thanks for coming on. You guys, uh, everyone uh, out there can find us at Limited Upside on Twitter. You can search for us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Just look for Limited Upside Podcast. Same thing on SoundCloud. Again, until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.